Welcome to the LDS Mission Cast, a podcast to educate and inspire in the great cause of missionary work. I'm your host, Nick Galletti. This week, we feature a website, a YouTube channel, and the creator of those web properties that provide some great resources for missionaries and missionary work. Alex Belinsky, or known online as Alex Ba, created the YouTube channel Preparing to Serve and the website Lifey Missions. He has some fun stories from his mission experiences in Argentina, but that wasn't where he was first called. Here now is my interview with Alex Belinsky. We've got a special guest on this episode of the LDS Mission Cast. We have, well, we, he goes by Alex Ba on Facebook, but his real name is Alex Belinsky, and he's here to talk to us about a couple of the projects he's got going online, and uh, he's got some more mission stories of his own to share. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. So uh, let's, uh, let's kind of start from, I want to call it the beginning, but uh, let's talk about you getting your mission call. Yeah, so I originally got called to serve in the Russia Samara mission. Okay. Super excited to serve there, started learning Russian. And then I think it was a couple of weeks after my mission call, I got reassigned to serve in Argentina, Neoken, because there were visa issues with Americans going to Russia at the time in 2008. That is a very NTC. big switch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not only just different hemispheres, but different cultures, different language, everything. So how far along had you been practicing Russian and, and, and before you got your change? Well, I, I started singing in a Russian choir at BYU, I think, <laughs> and I learned some just basics, just like how to read some of the letters and how to say Privyet Kaktila, Horosho, like, hello, how are you? Good. Just simple stuff. So not very long. It wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't too far along in my studies. So you hadn't been into the MTC yet? No. Nope. So before you get the MTC, do you get a whole nother packet? Do you have a whole nother letter opening? Yep. <laughs> Did you yeah, Facebook so. Live that too? I, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. Facebook Live was a oh, thing. Oh, maybe back it wasn't then. around then. Yeah, but, that's true. Uh, yeah, my stake president, he called me in and I was like, uh oh, this isn't good. What'd I do? Uh, <laughs> they love that, but right? He's like, I've got some good news and some bad news. Bad news is you're not going to Russia. Good news is you're going to Argentina. And I was excited. I mean, so my sister-in-law uh, served in Russia, and my brother, my oldest brother who's married to her, served in Argentina. And Argentina seemed like it would be a little bit easier, the culture seemed a little bit more really? friendly, maybe. Okay. Less harsh winters, probably. <laughs> okay. So anyway, was yeah, it? I was excited. What was, what was the experience? How did it meet your expectations? Oh, good, good. Um, I my expectations of Neoken, the Patagonia, that area of Argentina, was to have just kind of rolling pastures with random huts and <laughs> sheep. It definitely was not that. There was definitely just like cities with dirt roads and cinder block buildings, kind of. Yeah, but no, it was it was good. It wasn't as open as you might expect as far as getting into doors super easily. Uh, it seemed like in the north, it was a little bit easier. Maybe in the warmer climates, there's more of a culture of just kind of visiting each other and leaving doors open. And in the south, there was a little cooler, more European influence. It didn't seem quite that way, but it was great. Yeah. And you still know your Spanish and, and you kept that up? Mas o menos. Yeah. <laughs> One of the challenges that uh, that 
missionaries have when they get called to a foreign country is not just language, it's culture, food, but there's this idea that you're so far away from home. And most missionaries, in fact, I'm not sure I've seen any missionary that hasn't had to battle with some degree of homesickness near the beginning of their mission. Did you have that type of experience or you the rarity that were... Uh, I didn't deal with homesickness. I mean, I dealt with other things, just trying to do things the right way and be obedient. So that would be the, the kind of thing that would stress me out. I was actually, a, I was quite the fireball. Oh, okay. During my mission, especially during the first year or so. Sometimes walking down the street, I would be preaching out loud, <laughs> repentance. <laughs> and um, Really? You'd be yelling repentance? Pr- pretty much, yeah. Wow, that is bold. Yeah, it was, it was great. And I was training. Uh, <laughs> and so I got to kind of... So that would usually last for a week or two um, when I would, would train a new missionary. And then, you know, after a while, we'd peter out just a little bit as far as being as intense. Gotcha. Because um, sometimes they'd feel a little uncomfortable, like standing in front of a bus and preaching. Was that ever effective? Um, I I don't know. I think, I mean, I didn't see as far as being through the whole process of following up with people. Um, I did love testifying on the bus. I think it gave people an opportunity who otherwise wouldn't have had an opportunity to be exposed to the restoration. And it was a great growing opportunity. You know, I think in life it's good to learn to not care so much what people think, you know, to not pay attention to people in the great and spacious building pointing their (laughs) fingers to kind of care what God thinks. And I think by doing things that are socially not normal like that, but still are good inviting people to Christ, uh, I think it was a good experience. But, you know, I wouldn't implement that method now that I'm home from my mission. I don't think it would be necessarily needful or appropriate. But at the time, no, I thought it was a great way to let people know that you're sincere. A lot of people know and to call them to repentance, like right off the bat. So I didn't do it many times. Uh, I think just like a few times, but uh, I'm grateful I did. And I think if there was the right companionship duo, could be a really effective means of, of preaching. It also, one thing I will say, though, is that the more bold you are as a missionary, from my perspective, for example, preaching out loud down the streets, all the neighbors can hear you, or on the buses, it seems to catch the attention of all the local church pastors and, and like make their anti-rhetoric <laughs> go up. Okay. Um, I don't know if they feel a little bit threatened or, or what, but... I did notice that that if you were a really bold missionary, you would get bold uh, <laughs> response. Fight fire with ri- fire, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, very cool. And it's interesting to hear you talk about your stories and say, this is what I did, and now that you're back home, you've learned a little something different. And that speaks a little to your projects that you have on, on Facebook, YouTube, that sort of thing, where you're doing lifey. And specifically for our discussion, LIFEE missions. So let's let's start off with what is LIFEE and, and how has that been in place for, for missionaries? It's probably more recognized by our audience as Prepare to Serve, but we recently rebranded uh, to LIFEE. So it's just a little part of life experiences. Um, so yeah, basically we just publish a lot of free resources about different missions so we've collected and published about 4,000 or 3,500, 4,000, somewhere around there, uh, in-depth kind of Google form surveys about where return missionaries will share, you know, spiritual experience, crazy experience, 
funny experiences, what they learned about the place or language mistakes or whatever, advice, testimony. And then in person, we've done about a little under a thousand mission interviews uh, on video. Video interviews. video yeah. interviews for our YouTube channel, Prepare to Serve slash Lifey Missions, uh, however you want to refer to it. Yeah, most people know us probably by our videos because um, if you search for a mission on YouTube, our videos pop right up. There's just not a lot of content besides a few photo collages from returned missionaries, things like that. So if someone was to look up your mission, they would see... Would they see you, by the way? Yeah. No, I've got I've got my mission interview up there. It's a little old. Uh, and I've got, I don't know, maybe another five or so interviews from the Naoken mission. Um, but people can look up, like if they're, if they're a missionary that just got a call, they can go on YouTube, search out the name of their mission, and hear experiences from missionaries that have served in that mission, most likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some missions only have one or two. Some have, you know, three to five. Some have more than five. Uh, and there's still a handful, not a ton, but there's still, you know, might be a couple dozen that we don't have interviews from yet. But there are a lot of interviews. It's been a really rewarding project. My wife and I felt inspired to work on it back in September 2012. So when when you have a missionary coming in and talking for half an hour, hour, hour and a half, what kinds of stories have you been getting? Are they mostly faith-promoting or some of them funny? What kinds of stuff do we see coming out of these these videos? Uh, the whole gamut, I would say. So I usually start asking a question about pre-mission, if they want to share an experience. So we jump into getting out there the first day. Then I ask them about like the place, the people, the culture, the food, the language. And then we share a few stories and end with testimony in English and in their mission language often. Okay. And then we publish each as a separate video. Uh, so each video might be, you know, on average three to five minutes long, but there might be a dozen videos for an interview okay. in a YouTube playlist. And that actually helped us expand our reach a whole lot. Because it's hard to sit down for an hour, right? It's easier to sit down for a shorter video. Is that the idea? Yeah. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping away from your question. But to answer your question, what kind of stories? Uh, I have heard very crazy stories. Uh, like life-threatening stories. I've also heard really incredible miracle stories where sometimes I just feel the Spirit so strong and I just feel so privileged to be able to learn and hear stories that there's been a few instances where after an interview uh, with someone, I'll just like kneel down and say a prayer of gratitude because I just, I don't know, it just feels so good to feel the Spirit and to feel inspired and there's a lot of people in the world right now that don't know that God lives. And it's a huge privilege to be doing something that makes it abundantly clear that he does live. Yeah, we've heard lots of lots of crazy stories. <clears throat> I bet. I mean, you've got, you said over 900 of these things, which means that you've, you've had a lot of experiences that have been told to you. And you've had your own. I, I have to kind of almost back up a little bit and find out if... What what was your motivation for starting this in the first place? I mean, why why endeavor to do such a mammoth task? It all kind of started in 2006 when I was going to school, just starting at BYU. I was actually just about to turn 17. I started a year young that summer term, and I really badly wanted to know what Heavenly Father wanted me to do. And I didn't want to just do any major or any career. I wanted Heavenly Father to like 
tell me exactly, because I knew he could tell me exactly what direction to go, what would be the best for me and my family and for the world. I had, I think it was the last day of my Music 101 class in summer of 2016 at BYU. I just had this really strong impression toward the end of class that I needed to talk with this random dude. I felt a little awkward because like I was, you know, just turned like 17 and this was like a senior and I even know what I was going to talk to him about. I just felt strongly that I needed to talk with him. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, maybe I need to marry his sister because that's on my <laughs> mind, finding my eternal companion. And yeah. my career is on my mind. Well, that's what BYU is for. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I said a prayer. I'm like, Heavenly Father, this is kind of awkward. Like if you want me to talk with him, let, give, you know, make me like feel stronger that I need to talk with him. If not, please make this feeling go away because like I'm not, just feels awkward. Anyway, after I said that prayer, I felt really strongly I needed to talk with this guy. And so we said the closing prayer. And then once, you know, because it was at BYU where we have closing prayers. And right after we finished the closing prayer, I just like jumped up to my feet and just, you know, walked directly to this guy. I started asking him questions. We talked outside of the Harris Fine Arts Center building for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or so. And I was just trying to ask him questions, get to know him. I found out he was uh, studying broadcast journalism, which I didn't, I hadn't heard about being a major. And nor did I have any interest in TV or radio news because yeah. I, at the time I was pretty extreme and I didn't like all the like violence and negativity that there was in, in mass media. And then right after that, like immediately following that, I felt like I should go to a computer lab. So I did. And then I felt like I should look up uh, President Hinckley's biography. So I read somewhere online that President Hinckley studied in one form or another broadcast journalism. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's really weird. Like, how come I just had these two very distinct impressions? And the only thing, you know, the similar between them are broadcast journalism, which I'd never heard about, uh, nor did I have any interest in. But then it was kind of a process. So I had a couple of years before my mission going to school, about two years. And I took prereqs uh, for the program. I applied, got in, and I felt I had a few impressions along the way that made me feel like I should do something related to video. So I had ideas of making, you know, videos about each mission and then videos, of, you know, because that was on my mind as a pre-missionary or videos about every, you know, major at BYU because that would be helpful for me choosing a major or... But there was some kind of component that related back to your own... Yeah. Your own need almost, like what you wanted to see in the world, you wanted to produce it. Yeah. I was like, there's all these, and you know, I had ideas and they kind of morphed over time, but I did have a couple of distinct impressions that made me feel like I should start off looking for something in the video space. Went on my mission, came back, realized all these video resource ideas could be web resources. So I took a couple basic website classes to learn some basic HTML, CSS, started using WordPress and producing content on YouTube. And then in September 2012, my wife and I, uh, we just felt, for, I can't remember exactly how we felt other than we just both felt like we should give this mission video resource an honest go. Uh, kind of now or never kind of a thing. Did she serve a mission? She did as well in Philippines. Okay. Baguio. Yeah. And so we prayed about it. Felt good that I could quit my campus job. I was doing early morning custodial at the MTC, which <laughs> I love that job. That was awesome. I wouldn't mind doing that job right now. You know, was, uh, if I didn't feel like I should do something else, that was a blast. But yeah, so we took a big leap of faith. We were just having our first child. Nephi was being born. And my wife was just finishing up school, becoming a stay-at-home mom. 
and we didn't have much income. It was just enough to cover, you know, married housing. Uh, but we did have some some grants or scholarships to pay for school. And we had saved up, I don't know, about $10,000. And so we decided I'd quit my job, work on it. Worst comes to worst, we burn through all of our savings in half a year, and I have to just pick up a normal job again. But there were all these big tender mercies that um, it just felt like Heavenly Father prepared the way in so many ways. I have a page on our website somewhere. Uh, (laughs) I haven't added to it recently, but just about God's hand, like tender mercies I've seen. One of the big tender mercies was the age change announcement that happened two weeks after Mm -hmm. I quit my job. Two days after I quit my job and we had zero income, we got an unexpected phone call from a relative. Uh, My wife has tons of relatives and they didn't know anything about our situation and uh, about not having income or whatever, but we were offered to live with my wife's grandma for free, and we'd like take care of her. She was in her nineties, wow, or, you know, early nineties. Yeah, and that was about exactly the amount of money we were saving. The amount of money, basically, that I'd lost from quitting my part-time job. Yeah. Then there were a bunch of other tender mercies. Another big tender mercy was when uh, Google Fiber came to Provo, because we were having issues uploading, you know, hundreds of hours of HD video to YouTube. The library computers at BYU were pretty fast and and good but it would take a long time and there was all the, there was a technical bottleneck where it was just hard to upload you know 35 minute HD videos to YouTube in a day and I'd have to run to campus in the middle of the night and in the middle right at the morning and do things from the lab and it was just a pain and we prayed that Heavenly Father would prepare the way technologically to help it be more feasible and uh, shortly thereafter there was Google Fiber and now you know uploading videos to YouTube is a breeze with Google Fiber, very affordable as well. Uh, and there was a lot of tender mercies. My home teaching companion, he was kind of my my first mentor for coding and like figuring out website stuff. There was a lot of blessings. Very cool. Yeah. So when you are looking back on the last, I guess it'd be 10 years now since you yeah. went on your mission, thereabouts. Yeah, I'm getting old. Your mission, sir. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so you you definitely have you can look to your mission being a very pivotal part of what your life has become. If you were to look back to your to twelve years ago to your BYU first BYU experiences, you're preparing to serve. Would you give yourself any advice on anything to do different? Uh I feel like I I did it pretty good. I right around age. So when I was 12, I read the Book of Mormon for the first time, cover to cover, and that was a very pivotal experience for me. That's when I started like changing my life and getting rid of negative media and started setting personal goals to develop and learn and grow. When my brother Adam served his mission in Sweden, I was kind of an empty nester sibling. I was the youngest at home with my parents, and I started setting lots of goals for exercise and reading and learning. And so I was a pretty driven person. I mean, I still feel pretty driven, but I I don't know. I I don't think I have any advice I would give to myself. I I guess the advice that I would often give to anyone pre or return missionary is to just uh, have a great desire to know what Heavenly Father wants you to do with your life, knowing that you have incredible potential to do anything with his help. And that if you pray in faith and put in the effort that he will help you know what that is that you can do to make a difference. Because that's what made a big difference for me. I have I feel like I have these 
uh, inspired projects that Heavenly Father has kind of guided me to. Some that I've done, some that I'm just at the beginning of trying to figure out right now. But that's just filled my life with a sense of purpose and mission. And in confidence, confidence not in myself, but confidence in knowing that I'm doing something that Heavenly Father approves of and that he's kind of directed me towards. And so I've seen a lot of return missionaries at BYU and pre-missionaries who kind of go to school and they don't really know exactly what they want to do. Right. And that often still continues after graduation. You know, you'll find like, well, I think I'm going to go to graduate school now or I think I'm going to pick up a job. Um, But there's not like a clearly defined purpose. But I feel like just about everyone has the potential... Like all ordinary people have the potential to do extraordinary things. And I personally feel like uh, besides hard work and diligence and being committed to a cause, I feel like the thing that differentiates someone like a Mark Zuckerberg or an Elon Musk or whatever is having a very clearly defined vision that you're committed to. Uh, Because once you know what you're going to do and you're committed to that 100%, then like I feel like everything else falls into place. But when there's a degree of like uncertainty or you're not like totally all in, then it makes it hard to make anything work really well. That's that's kind of a, a message that I, an advice that I would give to anyone is to know that God will answer your prayers. And if you really care a ton, like Joseph Smith really wanted to know. The real intent. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he'd been thinking about it for like a year or more prior to the first vision. He put in tons of work, talked with lots of people, um, just having the confidence that, hey, you know, you don't have to go and change the world, but, you know, if you have a righteous desire to make a difference in the world and you plead with Heavenly Father and you just commit that you're going to receive his guidance and you're going to follow it, um, it's very, very likely that he will answer your prayer eventually and give you direction that might be totally different from what your plan was because I was not planning on doing what I'm doing. I was hoping <laughs> on being like a seminary teacher or a gym teacher or a music teacher because I liked music, I liked exercise, I liked religion. But it ended up that I'm not doing anything like that. But I'm doing something that I think I feel more fulfilled at and I've grown a lot more and I think is better for my family ultimately and for where I can have a better influence, which is what I desire. I desire to you know, when I die in a few years from now, a few years, meaning, few you know, years, decades. Wow, you get that all planned out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, life is short. I feel like life is crazy short and it's this wonderful window of opportunity to serve God's children. And I feel like that's where meaning in life really kicks in a lot is if we try to serve each other and help each other along. And so I just, I guess I feel this urgency to try to do what I can, realizing that, you know, I've been to a lot of funerals. I will go to a lot more and life's just short. So it's worth exercising faith and worth taking risks to do what's right, kind of. Yeah. Let's kind of end with maybe, I guess it's hard to call it a favorite story, but do you have a story that stands out to you, either from your own mission or one that you've heard or been a part of through your work on life emissions? I guess I could share just one personal story. I've heard, yeah, I could share several stories, but one that I guess goes along with my theme of like wanting to do accomplish the impossible or do more uh, to make a difference in the world was I had this goal in my mission to find a hundred new investigators in one week. Wow. Yeah. So, and I felt good about it because I knew it was like God's will that a lot of people be taught and came to the truth. So I, I felt fine that it was like a righteous desire to set that kind of crazy goal. But was it a 
Aim for the stars. If you hit the moon, you're okay. No, it was like aim for the stars and, and hit the stars because oh, if wow. it's a righteous goal, like it'll happen somehow. <laughs> okay. So it was intense. So I started, you know, ended preparation day early, maybe two o'clock on Monday, worked like crazy. I was serving as a zone leader at the time and I, I knew I couldn't pull it off with my companion because I don't think he would be okay with like running house to house for a week. Um, <laughs> Literally. So I'm running, like, right? well, I'll do an exchange every day with a different companion. So they'll just follow me around, like we'll work really hard together and they won't burn out because it's just one day. I think on Monday we found about like 13 or 14 people that we counted as new investigators, you know, where we just had a really quick lesson with them, left them a pamphlet, invited them and set up a time to come back. Uh, These are just quick, you know, 10 to 30 minute lessons. Second day I got crazy sick. I had either uncooked potato or fish that was contaminated the day prior. Wow. I think it might have been the uncooked green potato that I had on preparation day. <laughs> I've never even heard but of my that stomach being a just was not good for a day. I had bad diarrhea and it was I but we went out all day, didn't have a very successful day. For having all day we only found like ten new investigators. By the way, for me typically I'd only find about ten new investigators per week in a typical week ish, give or take five. Okay. Um so this was way above and usually on a given quadra, a given block. We, uh, we'd knock one block and usually get into like one door on okay. average. So it wasn't like super easy to get indoors per se. Sometimes more if we're in poorer neighborhoods or whatnot. But worked really hard Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We found a bunch of people. We went to like this really sketch ghetto part of town and we were able nice. to get in lots of homes and, <laughs> and teach. Saturday, we had an okay day. And then it came to Sunday and we needed 10 more people, we need to find 10 more people who are above the age of eight to give them their first lesson to count them as investigators. And I'm like, that's going to be easy because Sunday, all the families are home. So, you know, we just got to get in a few doors and boom, we're done. Get out of church and we pray. We feel like we should go in to uh, knock these doors in this neighborhood. And I think we got into three homes in a row. Uh, And I was like, wow, that was amazing. And then we were at like either 94 or 96. And we needed like four to six more. And we had like from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. to do that. So I'm like, we've got this. We've totally got this. (laughs) But we just weren't having luck. And people were kind of like, what are you doing at this part of like town? Like you're going to get like mugged or, you know, especially when it started getting dark. Like people weren't as open to like having visits and stuff from strangers. But Anyhow, it started getting to the point where, oh, I remember an hour and a half or so before the end of the day, we visited the family and there were just the amount of people we needed to reach our goal, like three more or something. But this was the only family the entire week of about 50, 55 homes that we had entered uh, that the father, he was adamant that we could not come back. Even though I tried, I'm like, we'll come back and sing a hymn or, you know, I was trying to anything like make to, it to anything qualify. to call it a, a return appointment. But uh, I tried and there was no way. He was just not having it. And so I was like, oh, man, that could have, you know, we could have finished an hour before the end of the week right then. But and he, this only happened once and it was with him. And so here we are. We need like three new investigators to reach our goal. We only have about an hour left, so it's starting to get down to the wire. We're knocking. feel like we should go up to this door, this house. We go in there. I think we find, like, two new investigators, so we just need, like, one more. But we only have, like, 15 minutes left of the day <laughs> before it's, like, 9 p.m. or whatever. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is getting down to the wire. So 
we're like, well, we're also about, you know, 10 minutes away from our apartment. So we should start walking back here pretty soon. We're like, we got to reach the school. We're so close. So close. So we go to the super poor part of the side of the mountain with these little shacks. And as we're going, I I recognize this one shack. I'm like, oh, that's where so-and-so lives. I'm like, well... Let's go say hi to him. We can't count him as a new investigator because it hasn't been a few months since we last saw him. And uh, that's okay, whatever. We'll just barely miss our goal. <laughs> we go in there and his wife is there, who I don't think we had met previously. Uh, his daughter was there, who was eight years old, just barely. And we hadn't ever, we didn't know that he had like children. I hadn't met his daughter before. And we gave a lesson and as we were leaving, we had just barely finished the goal. And I asked my companion to check on his watch. I'm like, hey, Elder, what time is it? He looks down and it was 8.59 p.m. Wow. And our working day ended at 9. nine yeah. Anyway, the reason I share that story is just because I think in life, Heavenly Father can help us to set ambitious goals that are righteous. If we have righteous desires and our hearts are in the right place to make a difference. Uh, and we can commit to do some pretty ambitious things with our life, sometimes things get fulfilled like promises or prayers get answered at the last possible moment. And in this case, we had been praying and working our tails off for one week. Yeah, sounds like it. And it could have gotten, we could have reached the goal a few hours before. We could have undershot the goal by a lot as well. But I just think it's funny and interesting and insightful that we gave it our all, what I felt like was our all, and we reached the goal exactly one minute before the end of the week. And in life, I, I think it's that way. Like Heavenly Father tries us. Uh, he'll give us promises. He will give us impressions. But there, we need to persevere and continue to have faith because often he steps in at the last possible moment. I think he sometimes does that to just help us learn that we need to trust him and uh, not question him and just kind of have that faith and patience, develop those kind of Christ-like attributes. You can do incredible things if you're trying to do what God wants you to do. He can make ordinary men do extraordinary things. I think President Hinckley has said that a couple times, and I believe it. The, the moral of that story, the conclusion of that wasn't you baptized X amount of people. That wasn't the point, yeah. right? The idea was that you showed the Lord you were willing to work hard, that you set a goal and you achieved it. Yeah, and, exactly. And I think that we as missionaries often see that baptism figure as the only reason that we ever do anything. And there's many reasons why we serve. Baptism's obviously a missionary's hope and, and, a, and a goal on its own, but it changed you, right? I mean, it, it changed the way that you looked at missionary work going through that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Very cool. I think the fastest answers to prayers that I've received come when I ask to like for inspiration to, to opportunities to serve or share the gospel. I don't usually pray for that <laughs> super often because it seems a little stressful for me to like have to be on the lookout all the time like I was on my mission. But, but I've noticed that when I do, like when I am willing and I pray sincerely for an opportunity to serve, that I think always gets answered. It's kind of interesting. Very cool. Yeah. So let's give people some web addresses to find life emissions. How does, how do people get to it? Um, one easy way is if you just Google your mission name, usually the Lifey page for, for your mission about your mission that has surveys and blogs and 
links to video interviews and whatnot. Um, usually that ranks pretty high if you just search for, you know, Adriatic North Mission or whatever. Or you can go to lifey.org forward slash LDS dash missions. And there's an index of missions there, about 500 current and past missions. Uh, also on YouTube, uh, you can just search Lifey Missions. Uh, and that's L-I-F-E-Y. Correct. Yep. Uh, or you can just search for a mission name on YouTube and that usually pops up the videos right away. So can people reach out to you if they want to share their mission story on your page? Yeah. Yeah, they could just email me. My email is alexbalinski at gmail.com. Okay, well, we can put links to all that on our on our page in the posting for this episode, too. So if people need to find it, they can go to ldsmissioncast.com, find this episode, and uh, check out those links. Thank you for coming in, and thank you for doing yeah. this project. I know that creating content online can be a, a labor of love. Yeah. It's not always a labor of, of temporal satisfaction, <laughs> Yep, <laughs> but uh, it, is, it is something that I think can be of value to missionaries preparing to go, but it can also maybe be something that helps missionaries who have been home and who feel like they want to reconnect with that missionary spirit in their life. Because I don't know how you describe your mission. I know a lot of people say, oh, it's the best two years, Yeah, uh, best two years of my life, that kind of thing. I, I don't choose to categorize it as the best two years of my life, but it was two really great years and the best probably, the best probably to that point. Yeah. But anyway, thank you again, Alex Belinsky. Yeah, Nick. Or Alex Ba on Facebook. <laughs> um, but thank you again for, for coming in and sharing all your stories. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm going to start featuring some information on the missions from where our featured guests served each week. And we're going to basically highlight some of the facts that come from the Lifey Missions website. And I hope that in so doing, we can learn more about the many parts of the world that are a part of this great Latter-day legacy of which we're all a part. In the coming weeks, we have some great guests lined up to talk about some topics that we haven't addressed on the show yet. Another guest that we're going to have is going to come on to talk about a worldwide pilot program being created an institute that will provide missionary tools all around the world in scores of languages. We also have a special episode, maybe even a two-part episode, on the great work being done in the ARP or Addiction Recovery Program of the Church, and how that program can and should be playing a role in the ministering and missionary efforts that we're involved in. I'm also lining up a number of scholars to help us understand the gospel that we've been called to share in this world to do so with greater power and clarity. There's so much in store for you, the faithful listeners of LDS Mission Cast. Make sure to follow LDS Mission Cast on Facebook and Instagram if you aren't already doing so. Stay tuned and thank you so much for listening to this and all the other episodes of LDS Mission Cast. Thank you.